so good to be here with you this morning. Like Ryan said, uh, my name's Scott, and uh, this is Helen over here on the third row. We'd love to uh, get a chance to talk to you after this service. We'll be right out here. We've got uh, some little brochures about our work at OU with some pictures on slideshow out there. Uh, if you love to hear more about what we're doing, what God's doing uh, in Norman, even in Norman, God is at work. Just let that be said. Uh, we would love to have you sign up, uh, and we have an email uh, newsletter and a mail newsletter. Uh, Helen and I have been married almost five years. We are displaced people from the southeast. Uh, mostly, I mostly grew up in Georgia, went to school in Auburn, uh, which, you know, kind of has similar colors to, to Oklahoma State. So I had to get used. This color is difficult for me to wear for a different reason. There's this other school in Alabama that I don't like to talk about. Uh, and Helen mostly grew up in Alabama with a school in Birmingham where we met. Uh, we were both involved in RUF as students. Uh, it's been very important in our lives. We grew up in Christian families, but in many ways, I think we would both say that God made our faith real and personal when we were in college, when we had to make the decisions about what are we going to do with our lives? What's life really about? You know, those, those things that we had learned growing up really became... Uh, real and true and meaningful for both of us in college. And so uh, we, after we were married, we went to seminary uh, in Covenant, at Covenant in St. Louis and uh, are so glad to be doing RUF. Uh, thrilled to be in, never thought we would be in Oklahoma. It was kind of crazy how God works. We were invited to come down and interview at OU. And even with the color scheme, uh, really love, love the campus, uh, love being in a big state school, college football, all the craziness that comes with being, uh, you know, at a, at a big state school, and just love the opportunity to do evangelism. Uh, we're really excited. Moving into this year, we brought 21 students with us to RUF Summer Conference. We went the same week as Oklahoma State RUF, and uh, we're really excited about what God uh, is doing in our group as we're rebuilding and growing and they're getting used to a new campus minister. We really appreciate uh, your prayers. We thank you so much for your support. So come talk to us or afterwards and grab, uh, grab a little brochure out back. Today we're going to be in John 16. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, you can turn with me or scroll to that chapter. John 16 is set within the wider context of uh, what's known as the Upper Room Discourse. These are Jesus' uh, last words before he's betrayed and before he's crucified. John 13 through 17, Jesus is meeting with his disciples, and he is talking a lot about his relationship with God the Father, and he also talks a lot about the Holy Spirit, who he also calls the Helper or the Counselor. The Holy Spirit, we tend to, sometimes we forget about him. People have called him the shy member of the Trinity. Uh, so that's what we're going to focus on today. Who is the Holy Spirit? What is his mission? Why do we need him desperately in our lives to bring the love of Christ home to us and make it real in our lives? That's what, that's what we're going to be doing this morning. So in John 16, I'm focusing, focusing on verses 8 through 11, but starting from verse 4 for context. But I've said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me, 
and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Would you pray with me? Father, please send your helping spirit to be with us this morning, Lord. Wake us up so we can hear your word. We need you. Please love us and let us not go unchanged from your love today. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. So at the end of the movie, Return of the King, which of course is the third Lord of the Rings, installment of Lord of the Rings based on uh, Tolkien's book, the movie ends essentially with the big evil bad guy, the big fiery eye of Sauron falling and collapsing when the ring itself is destroyed. And there's some stuff that happens after that, but essentially it's kind of like the big bad guy is destroyed and everyone lives happily ever after. Now in the book though, and you know, if, if you're a book person or if you know book people, you know book people are always getting annoyed with the movie and how it's like different than the book. Uh, and I, I happen to be a book person, at least with Lord of the Rings. In the book, after all of that, there's this chapter called The Scouring of the Shire at the end of the book, Return of the King. And essentially, the hobbits, Frodo and Sam and Merry and Pippin, kind of the heroes of Lord of the Rings, they go back to their home, the Shire, this nice, peaceful countryside, expecting to live their lives in peace. But there's this, there's, there's many bad guy, this guy Saruman, who has gone and he set up shop in the Shire, and he is, uh, he is spreading evil and he's oppressing the hobbits. And Frodo and Sam and Merry and Pippin, who thought the war was over, and in many, in a, in a biggest sense, it was. Not all of the effects of the war were over, and they still had to come back and bring justice to the Shire and cleanse out the evil that was there. The war was already over, but its effects still hadn't reached every corner of, Mid of Middle Earth, all, all of the to the very corners of the Shire. And that's exactly what the Bible actually tells us about God's mission in the world. The war has been won, friends. The war has been won in Jesus, in his life, in his death on the cross for our sins, where he brought justice to all of us who believe in him. And the evil one has been defeated definitively, and we know that the war is, is done. But don't we still feel the effects of it in our lives? Sometimes it doesn't feel like it's really all over. We still need to see justice and peace come to the Shire. We need to see the Sky Shire. There's still work to be done. We feel that. We feel that God's justice still needs to come into every corner of the world. And we, all, we know all too well that the world we live in is not a loving place. And I think we need to, even as Christians, we need to acknowledge that honestly. Yes, Jesus has won. But if he has one, why, have so, why do so many people in the world not acknowledge his victory? Why are there so many people who don't believe in Jesus for salvation? That's a real question. Why is there war and violence in the world? So much of it, in fact, that where the 20th century more people died than all centuries previously. How can that be possible if Jesus has won? How can there be millions of people displaced from Syria 
and the war still going on? How can there be no justice in our own nation too often for those in the womb or for those who are poor and vulnerable in our own communities, in our streets? Why, where is the justice if Jesus is one? Why even in Jesus' own people, in the church, do terrible things happen? Why are there still sex abuse scandals? Why do people look at the church as a place of judgmentalism and hypocrisy instead of the outpost of God's love that it really should be and is? These are heavy questions. These are heavy questions. If the war is done, then why do these things happen? But friends, here is the good news. As as heavy as those things are, as much as we see the evidence of the fall still in our world, this God, this God who has every right to respond to, to our world's lack of love and even our own lack of love, our own tragedy to live up, to live up to the death and resurrection of Jesus, rather than destroys us, friends, he seeks us. He seeks us to this day. And that's what we're going to see in the Holy Spirit's work. He seeks us, just like Adam and Eve in the garden, when God had every right to wipe them out after they disobeyed him, he goes walking for them, walking and looking for them, and he says, where are you? And friends, that's what I want you to hear this morning, is God's call, where are you? The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, brings the presence of God into our lives because our God is a finding God. Our God is a rescuing God and a healing God. And he can heal all the pain, all the brokenness in this world. And that's why he's given us the Spirit. So how does the Spirit accomplish this? How does he deliver? Is, he, has he, is, this really, is it really for the best for Jesus to have left and him to send the Holy Spirit? Is that not kind of just this like imaginary to make us feel good thing? Or is there real power in the Holy Spirit. Let's look at our text. Look at verse 7 with me. Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. This is a kind of a crazy thing you have to imagine for, uh, for Jesus' disciples to hear. They've been with him for the last three years of his ministry, walking with him. They've seen him do miracles, and they've seen him teach with amazing authority. They thought Jesus was the Messiah. They thought he was going to be the one to, uh, to fight back against the injustice of the Romans and against the Jewish authorities, right? And yet Jesus is saying, actually, I need to go. I need to go. Even though you thought that uh, I was going to kind of win this thing right here and now, and... Uh, the world is going to be over. I need to go because I need to send you the helper. What does the helper do? Well, verse 8, Jesus says, When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So those are the three things we're going to look at this morning. How does God make his love a reality? Through the Spirit, by convicting us concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That's God's answer to the lack of love in our world, and in our lives. Let's look at sin, first of all. Verse 9, the Holy Spirit convicts concerning sin because they do not believe in me. What he's saying here, and he's saying to us today, is as much as we can tend to look outwards at all the pain and brokenness in the world and say the problem's out there, God's actually saying the biggest problem is right there in your heart, in your very soul. Well, he starts with convicting concerning sin. 
Our biggest problem is, is always ourselves. Our sin against God, that heart-level rebellion, that deep shame in your soul, that even when you know, even when you know deep down that you need God, you hide instead, don't you? Just like Adam and Eve in the garden. We hide from God. So the Spirit convicts us concerning sin, but here's the, here's the beautiful thing. He doesn't convict us in, in order to condemn us. He does it in order to bring love home to our hearts. He does it in two ways. First, he, he, uh, he helps us to believe in God. Con- he convicts us concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Belief in the Bible is never some mere kind of intellectual, like, yes, I believe these propositions about God and these theological doctrines. No, it's always a living and vibrant, depending and resting upon for everything, for life. And this is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Friends, we cannot believe in Jesus unless he raises us from the dead. Paul in Ephesians 2 says that we are dead in our sins. Jesus in John 3, when he's talking to Nicodemus, says, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so the Holy Spirit, before he does anything else, before he does anything else, he comes and brings the love of Jesus home to your heart. He shows you the depth of your sin, and the need for a Savior, the need for belief in Jesus. Friends, we must never look past our own need for Jesus. He raises us from the dead, first of all, and he also adopts us and brings us into God's family. Paul in Romans 8 says, The Spirit himself, the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. Far from condemning us and throwing us out of God's household like we would deserve, We're actually adopted into God's family. We're united with Jesus. And we get called sons and daughters of God right along with Jesus. All the blessings that Jesus gets, we get too. Because of our connection with him in the Holy Spirit. This is why it's good news that the Holy Spirit convicts us concerning sin. And brings us to belief in God. The Spirit brings Christ's love home to us. First of all, home to us in our very hearts by raising us from the dead and welcoming us into God's family. In the movie Blood Diamond, which is based on the real-life civil war that happened in the West African nation of Sierra Leone, a young boy named Dia is kidnapped, just like many others in Africa during the 80s and 90s, and was made to become a child soldier, to be brainwashed, to fight for rebels, to get involved in wars for drugs and diamonds. Dia, because of the brutal violence he was asked to do, day after day after day, he forgot who he was. He forgot his family. He forgot his mother and father that that raised him. And this is all he was, was this killer. But his father, his father Solomon, searches for him. He looks all over the war-torn countryside for his son Dia. And eventually he finds him. He finds the camp where Dia has been and is serving and is has been brutalized and, bru- and brutalizing others. Dia finds him and he gets, Solomon finds Dia and he gets him alone. Dia looks at him and you can tell he doesn't recognize him and he threatens to shoot him as he's got his gun trained on his own father. As Solomon, rather than running away or covering his face, looks at his son in his eyes and says, Dia, what are you doing? Look at me. You are Dia Vindi. You are a good boy who loves soccer in school. I am your father who loves you. 
and you will come home with me and be my son again. Dia's hard, brainwashed face collapses, and his tears run down his face. And he drops his gun, and he runs into his father's arms. Friends, this is what we need most deeply. We need to know the God who doesn't turn his face from us, but even when we look at him with scorn and condemnation, he looks at us with love. And he opens his arms to us, doesn't he? He says, you are a good boy, you are a good girl. Not because of what you've done, we know that, but because of his love for us in Jesus. It's what we need most deeply. And this is what Jesus is saying to us, that the Holy Spirit brings God's love to us, love home to us by raising us from the dead and welcoming us home, just like Solomon to his son, Dia. So the first thing that we need to, we need to ask ourselves is, have you had the Spirit bring you back from the dead and bring you into God's family? Have you experienced, if you're sitting here this morning, I don't know where you all are this morning. Some of you have never felt the love of God in this way. And you need to cry out to him to help you believe in him. Others of you, others of you have done this, but you feel like it's been so long since you've really confessed openly to God. And maybe even in your community groups and in, in, in the spaces in this church, we need the Spirit to come and help you to be more honest with one another, to open up, to confess. Because, we're, friends, we're not gathered as Christians, as people who have it all together. We're first and foremost people who desperately need the love of Jesus. We desperately need to be convicted of sin and to help each other be convicted of sin and repenting. So the Holy Spirit brings Christ's love home, first of all, to us by raising us from the dead and welcoming us into God's family. What else does he do? Next, the Holy Spirit does not just convict us concerning sin, but concerning righteousness. So let's keep going. Verse 10, he convicts the world concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. So there's two things that are confusing here. First is the word righteousness, which is a slippery word. And I personally, whenever I hear the word righteousness, sometimes I kind of cringe because I think I'm so trained to associate it with self-righteousness, right? With that sort of like pious, I'm better than you, I follow all the rules, you know, Clearly, that's what Christians are all about. But we know that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Biblical righteousness is living and being shaped by the law of God. The very law of God, which Jesus says, the greatest commandment is to love God, and there's one like it, to love your neighbor. Think about that for just a second. The righteousness of God is actually about love. Yes, God gives many rules and ways that love is worked out, but it's fundamentally about love. And then the second confusing thing is that Jesus says, you need to be convicted concerning righteousness because he's going to the Father and you will see him no longer. Now remember who Jesus was. Jesus was God incarnate. There is nobody who has embodied love more than Jesus. And so that's why Jesus needed to say this. He's saying, look, you've been walking and talking with me for three years, and you've seen what love looks like worked out. You've seen me heal people. You've seen me 
love and give salvation to the Samaritan woman. You've seen me teach about true love for God, and yet Jesus is saying he's leaving. So they need the Holy Spirit to help them grow into that righteousness that God would have for them. See, this is, this is the problem. This is the problem. We can look at the love of God, we can look at the righteousness of God and say, that would be great if I could have that. I would love to live that way, but I have no clue how, right? That's what the Holy Spirit is here for. He convicts us concerning righteousness, not to condemn us and say, look how unloving you are. But remember where Jesus has gone. Jesus is no longer with them because he's at the right hand of the Father, offering himself to him and saying, look, I died for them. I have paid the price for their sins. And look, I've given them my Holy Spirit, my very Spirit, which is in them powerfully working in them to make them righteous. Isn't that amazing? Christ didn't just love us. He didn't just love us. He makes us lovely. That's what, that's what Jesus is saying. The Spirit is in you, given to you, to convict you about righteousness and to make you lovely, to make you like Jesus. The Holy Spirit makes us loving from the inside out. We see this in the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector, he was despised and hated. Tax collectors were these, were, these were Jewish people who were betraying their own countrymen by taking a big cut off the top of the taxes they collected for the dirty Romans. But even Zacchaeus, even this tax collector, had heard about the love of Jesus. And Zacchaeus was a short man. He had to climb up in a tree, right, to look at Jesus. He just, he just wanted to see, just to glimpse Jesus, to see what he had to say, even to a tax collector like Zacchaeus. And as the story goes, Jesus comes to where Zacchaeus had climbed up, and he looked up at him with all the people around. Jesus looked up at him and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Zacchaeus is so overjoyed that Jesus looked at him, that he sees him, called him by name. He comes down. He not only hosts Jesus for a meal, but we read that Zacchaeus gives half of his wealth to the poor, and he pays back four times what he owes. This is what it looks like for the Spirit to grip you and make you loving from the inside out. This is how you know the Holy Spirit is at work in your life and in the lives of those around you. When you've experienced the love of God poured out into your hearts, you can't stay the same. Notice how natural the story, how, how the response of Zacchaeus was to Jesus' grace. It was no problem for him to give away half his wealth. That was easy for him. That's easy for a man who's had his heart transformed by the love of God. Have you been truly convicted concerning righteousness? Where is God asking you to submit to him and to grow into this type of righteousness? Do you pray for it? Do you practice it? Have you asked yourself for practical ways that you can show the love of God to those around you, to respond to the grace of God in these very visible and practical ways by giving away your money, by serving others? And again, remember, this is not to condemn you. God is always, God is so delighted with the smallest steps of repentance you take. He is thrilled like you are when you see your child take its first steps and then fall. You're not mad because your child fell. You're so happy to see them even try to take steps. This is how God is. God's a kind father. 
He loves to see us grow in righteousness. So the Holy Spirit brings the love of God home to us from the inside out. He doesn't only bring it home to our hearts and, and forgive us by the blood of Jesus, but the Holy Spirit works it out in our lives as we gradually become more loving like Jesus himself. So finally, look at verse 11. The third thing the Holy Spirit does is he convicts the world concerning judgment. Verse 11. Because the ruler of this world is judged. So this is what I want you to, to imagine. The love of God starts small, right, in our hearts. Convicted concerning sin. It works itself outwards in our lives. And our sanctification are going to look more like Jesus. Convicted concerning righteousness. And then it keeps on going out into the world. Convicted concerning ju- judgment. See, judgment, God, judgment, friends, the judgment of God is justice ultimately. And we cannot have love without justice. If God truly loves the world, he cannot let the world be the way it is, can he? He has to set things right. And so this is what the love of God does. It works in us and then out through us into the world because the ruler of this world is judged. How, why does he go to the ruler of the world here? There's no one that's more against love than Satan. Satan would love nothing more for you to just think about your own shame and your own sin, to dwell on yourself and turn inward and away from God, and to not give or care or ever work for justice in the world for, the, for those around you. But God has judged the ruler of this world. This is what Jesus did on the cross. He did die for our sins. And also in that death on the cross, that was even in the most shameful moment, where Jesus looked like a failure. That's actually where he had the victory over Satan. Satan thought he had won in that moment, but really it was the death blow to him. It was actually the trial and the judgment and the condemnation of Satan. We know that because, and and the apostles say this over and over again, Jesus died and then he was resurrected. Jesus overcame death. That proves and vindicates him that Satan did not have the last word. Our division is exactly what Satan wants. He would love for the world to have no justice. But in the, in the story of Pentecost, which happens just a little bit after, just 50 days after the resurrection, the Holy Spirit's poured out, and all these people, all these people who are divided by, by language and, uh, and by customs, they come together and have the Holy Spirit poured out of them, and they start praising God, and the church grows like wildfire. It says that the, the church gathered week by week, and they broke bread, and they, and they had everything in common. And they praised God. Friends, this is what the Holy Spirit does. Is he takes us, these broken, selfish people, he pours the love of God into us, and then he makes his love visible through us to the whole world to show that the evil one is judged. If the evil one was in control, you, Grace Stillwater, couldn't be gathered here to praise God and then go out and show his love to the world. That is evidence of God working through you to make your love visible, even through vacation Bible school, through the acts of love that you show at your workplace, through the way you do family life differently than those around you, by modeling grace and repentance. Friends, that may seem like weak, small things in the face of the, of the evil and the hurt in the world, 
But that is how the evil one is judged. It is through the church, through this living community, the visible presence of God's love, that God is going to save and heal the world. Which is scary, I'm going to say. It's scary to say that God, the God of the universe, is using me and you to spread his love through all the world. Broken people, people who desperately need his love every day, that's exactly what he's doing. So friends, as we prepare to come to the, to the table and sing and go out from here, remember that, remember that this God, this God who could have left you, could have left us, could have left Adam and Eve in the garden, came after us, seek, sought them and sought us with the Holy Spirit to prove that he loves us. Put his spirit in your heart, declaring Abba, Father, which is like Daddy. That, that cry in your soul towards God is evidence of the fact that God has saved you. He has brought the love of Christ home to you. He has loved you from the inside out and is making you grow into righteousness. And finally, he is making the love of God visible through you so you can bring God's love to bear on everything, every square inch of still water, all the way out into Oklahoma and to the rest of the world. Friends, nothing goes untouched. Nothing goes untouched. In John 17, in his last prayer, Jesus' last prayer to his, his father in the presence of his disciples before he's betrayed, I just want to read this one line. Jesus prays, I may known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Friends, we have Jesus with us. He's making himself real and present in our lives and through us to the world. Let's pray. Father, you have overwhelmed us with your love, saturated us with it. Thank you for letting us know you, letting us see your love for the Son and the Spirit, Lord. Thank you for inviting us into your very self, into your community of love. Help us grow in love for you and for one another, Lord. We humbly ask you to use us to spread your love to the world on and on into eternity. And we long for the day when we will be with you in the flesh forever. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.